Would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, please? Mark chapter 8. You'll see behind me that we've got a little slide which says Christ crucified. Uh, we decided to open like the first four weeks of our church plant. We wanted to focus in on the message of Christ crucified. The Apostle Paul, when he um, wrote to the Corinthian church, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he went around preaching and teaching the gospel. And this is the thing he wanted the churches to be centered around, the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I thought there's no better way for us to begin than to, do, to know nothing more than Christ and Him crucified. Um, Fleming Rutledge says this. She wrote a great, incredible book on the crucifixion. She says, The cross can never be merely assumed, but must always be interpreted and replaced at the center. There's a centrifugal force at work in human nature. We want to spin out and away from the offense of the cross. The Corinthians, that was their temptation. It's our temptation today to always want the cross in the margins because it's, it's offensive and it's, it's difficult and it's weird and we want ourselves in the center. But Paul says, no, 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 let's move that around. Cross in the center and ourselves coming in towards it. So that's why we're doing this series called Christ Crucified, because we want to spend our time focusing on Him. And that indeed is the mission and you know, vision of this church. We're a church which is passionate about knowing, applying, and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in Parramatta. That's our one thing. That's what we're here to do. Um, so thank you for joining us. We're going to read from Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Lord God, I pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. In this series, we began by saying the first thing we do with Christ crucified is we preach Christ crucified, which is what Paul's in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, we preach Christ crucified. That was his message. And then last week, we said, well, what, why, why do we preach Christ crucified? What's the point? Well, we do it to make much of Jesus. And so last week's message was we glorify Christ crucified. The point of everything we do as a church, indeed everything we do as Christians, actually more than that, the point of the entire universe is to make much of Jesus. And now we come to week three in our series and we're calling this week, We Follow Christ Crucified. 
See, there's many things in our world which we can follow and, and enjoy. You know, you, you have your favorite people on Facebook or Instagram that when you're scrolling through, you, you like their feeds. Or, you know, for me, back in the day, um, I was an economics student. And so I had these economists I used to follow, John Maynard Keynes. And I would read their theories and think, this is the way the world should be. And so I would recommend the policies and the structures and I'd vote according to my economists that I followed. Or perhaps for you, you're not as much of a nerd as me, and maybe, you know, there's a musician or someone that you follow, and you like to practice and be like John Mayer, or like Chopin, or, you know, whatever your culture and class, high culture, Chopin, low culture, John Mayer. Um, But you follow those people because you want to be like them, and you want to have the results of what it is to be like them. So if you start finger-picking like John Mayer, then you play sick guitar, then you look good, and then people think you're really cool, and then ladies like you, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, And it goes in all different fields, psychology. We have different psychologists that people follow because they think it's going to give them a peaceful life, the way to live, you know, know, that freedom that everyone's searching for. Even as, not mundane, I think it's very important, cooking. My wife has all these cookbooks, and you follow the right chef or cook, whatever you call them, so that you can produce the right recipe so you can eat the most beautiful food. You see, who we follow depends on what we want to achieve, what the outcome we want. And so when it comes to Christianity, Christianity isn't like this, you know, tick a box on a census. It's not, you know, I'm just a Christian because I was born it. Christianity is a religion of following. Christianity is a religion of following. And it's not just following the Bible in general, but specifically it's following Christ. Following Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, if you follow a musician, you practice and you look like him, you follow a chef, you follow the recipes and the techniques, you follow an economist, it ends up in all these different policies. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean? Well, that's the point of our message today. We're going to turn to Jesus, we've already seen, and he's going to define for us what it means to be his follower. And it's a pretty hard message. Jesus never minces words. He wasn't looking for a crowd. He was looking for devoted followers of him. And so we've got two points today, two points about what it means to follow Jesus. Very simply, point number one, come and die. Welcome, Sunday morning. (laughs) Hope you had your coffee because you're going to need to wake up. But then second point is come and live. So would you turn with me back to Mark chapter 8, point number one, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, come and die. You see, Mark chapter 8 is the turning point of Mark's gospel. It, it, Mark's gospel is his explanation to the world of what Jesus came to do, what he did, why he did it, um, and the result of that. And so in Mark chapter 8, it's really the turning point of the whole gospel. Jesus has arrived on the scene. He's been teaching and preaching. Wherever he goes, the crowds come. Wherever he goes, miracles happen. Demons are cast out. Blind people see And wherever he goes, he causes controversy as well as gains followers. And so he's a very controversial figure. Everyone's trying to figure out, who is this guy? And earlier in Mark chapter 8, Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do you think I am? And they say, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, bingo, you got it right. You didn't you know, know this yourself, God revealed it to you. And then Peter, and then Jesus says, but actually the Son of Man, this, this Son of the living God, has not come 
to rule and reign and, and set up a new Israel, which is actually, you know, working politically, economically, militarily. He says, the Son of Man has come to suffer and die and rise again. And Peter takes Jesus aside and says, no, 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 that is not the program actually that I signed up for because I thought you were the Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament. I was hoping for more like a Donald Trump Messiah, come in, kick out the bad people, build a wall, make it a better place, make Israel great again. That's what, that's what Peter wanted. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking of the things of heaven, but the things of man. You see, Peter had this idea of what it meant to follow Jesus. He thought, get behind Jesus, this miracle work of this teacher, and then it'll bring in this epic kingdom. I'll have a great life here on earth. And then Jesus flips it all upside down. Read Mark 8, 34. So just after all of that, he says, you see this, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the first thing I want us to notice there is Jesus' call is not for the elite or for the intellectual or for the great. He says, if anyone would come after me. Notice how he grabbed his disciples and the crowd and made this universal call. You see, Christianity is a religion to all peoples, no matter status, no matter gender, no matter education, no matter wealth. Jesus' call is to anyone. If anyone would come after me, no matter what you've done or who you've become. You see, if you look at Jesus' 12 disciples, in there you had a tax collector, Matthew. You had Judas, who was going to betray him. You had Simon, who was a zealot. So, Matthew, the tax collector, works for the Romans. Simon, the zealot, was like a modern-day terrorist. And they're all in there working together. If anyone would come after me. And I don't know where you're all at this morning, but this begins here with all of us saying, if any you, anyone in this room, would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, you can. But this is what it's going to look like. So it's sort of like this general, anyone can do it, and then he pulls the rug out from your feet because the, kind of, the pitch he makes is not the normal pitch of this world. So let's look at it again. If anyone would come after me, this is what you must do. He says, let him. That's kind of a weird way of saying he must. Okay, So this is what you must do if you want to come after me. Three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, really, if you kind of summarize those into two things, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. That's what being a follower of Jesus entails. Let's start with the second one take up your cross. Christ crucified on a cross. What is is Jesus saying when he's saying to his disciples in the crowds, take up your cross and follow me. It's, you know, the the cross is something that we're so desensitized to and sanitized. I mean, I've said it each week, but again, um, the picture's not there, but we have nice, pretty crosses. But when Jesus says, take up your cross, it'd be be like him saying, take up your noose and follow me. 
That carries a bit more of the, the offense and the shame and the, the shock of it. Take up your cross. The cross was state-based execution for the worst criminals. A shameful way to die. Stripped naked, beaten, and hung up, left until you, you know, basically asphyxiate. I shouldn't try and say that publicly. Until you can't breathe anymore. That's what I'm trying to say. And he's trying to gain followers, and he says, take up your cross. John Piper kind of helpfully um, explained what they probably would have thought of when, when they heard cross. Four things. Opposition. You know, because the only way a cross happens is if the state comes against you. No one was crucifying people just, you know, it wasn't lynch mob, Ku Klux Klan style. The Roman government had to crucify you. So when Jesus says to his followers, take up your cross, he's saying, you are going to have the whole state against you. The legal system is going to be against you. That's the first thing. Expect opposition. The second thing is expect shame. You wouldn't even talk about the cross in polite company in Jesus' time and day. And when he says, take up your cross, he's saying, take up shame. Thirdly, take up pain. There's no more excruciating way to die than on a cross. We're so far removed from it, but some people would take three days for them to die on a cross. Slowly dying, bit by bit by bit. And fourthly, take up death. So the cross had all these images in it. Opposition, shame, pain, and death. Imagine sort of like the the air kind of slowly going out of the balloon for the disciples. They thought they were on like the back of, you know, Donald Trump Messiah. And now he's saying, grab that cross beam and put it on. Feel that? Yeah. That's what it's like to follow me. So, How could anyone get to the position where they'd want to be a follower? How could you get to a position where you would gladly take up a cross to follow this guy? Surely no one is worthy. There's no cause good enough to go, I'm going to be a cross bearer. That's my life. That's what I want to do. I'm going to die and be exposed publicly and shamed and hated by all. That's what I want to do. Well, the first command that Jesus gives helps you to achieve the second. You must first deny yourself and then take up your cross. You see, when Jesus said that, he's saying, you must deny your very self, your sinful self, your old self here. This is the self that we're born with. We're all born kicking, screaming, crying, and selfish. You know, we're all born desiring our own self-preservation. We don't have to teach our kids to lie, steal, cheat. I was going to say kill, but hopefully, you know, Lie, steal, or cheat. We don't have to teach them that. They're born that way. They're born with this self which wants to snatch and grab. They're born with this self that you give them two bowls, one with slightly more ice cream than the other, and my kids always choose the big bowl for themselves, every time. You don't have to teach them that. They just do that. And then we get bigger, we get out of nappies, and then we keep living like that. It just looks a little bit different day by day by day. That's our self. That's this old, natural self that we're all born with. And the self, when the self hears a cross, when the self says, okay, I I like Jesus, I want to follow him. What does that mean? Okay, take up a cross. The self says, no, no, thank you. Opposition? No, no, I want to be accepted. I want people to think I'm in, I'm cool. (laughs) I want to be down with it. I want to put a rainbow up on my display picture so that everyone thinks I'm with the times. 
No, no, no. The self says, I don't want shame. I want glory. (laughs) I will take glory, thank you, over the shame because I want people to see just how great I really am or even not how great I am. I just don't want people to think I'm pathetic. So I'll just take not, not shame. I don't need glory. I'll just take not shame. The self says, I want comfort and not pain. I want my you know, double espresso in the morning, and then I want my beautiful donut in morning tea, and then I want a gourmet lunch and a comfortable dinner and a nice bed and air conditioning and a beautiful car and great holidays. That's what I want. And a cross doesn't kind of sound like that, so maybe not. And finally, the self says, I want safety, not death. So the self is opposed to the cross. Our natural selves, we don't want a cross. We want acceptance. We want glory rather than shame. We want comfort rather than pain. And we want safety rather than death. And so Jesus looks at his followers in the crowds and he says, to follow me, you have to take up a cross. In order to do that, you have to deny your self. To deny yourself in our culture is a sin. You're meant to be true to yourself. You're meant to be who you are. You, no one's allowed to tell you to deny yourself in our culture. No one's allowed to tell you to not be who you feel you truly are. Yet Jesus comes with this radically countercultural message. To be a true follower of him, you have to say no to your natural self. It's an incredibly difficult command. Jesus isn't trying to generate a whole bunch of Twitter followers really quickly here or Instagram followers. This is not the message for that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer summarized it well. He was a German pastor during World War II. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Whether you're not yet a Christian, not yet a follower, or you are, Christ calls you and bids you, come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your dreams and aspirations. Die to ruling your own life and follow me and see where I take you. And here, I'll I'll give you insight into where I'm going to take you. See that thing on your back? That's the kind of life I have promised for you. So why would anyone want to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, he has every right to command us to do this. He is God, eternal God. He could say, take up your cross and follow me, and every single person on earth is bound to do that. He doesn't have to give reasons. He doesn't have to give incentive, but he does. And he actually wants to inspire his believers and his followers and give them reasons why they should take up this heavy burden and heavy cross. And that's, what, that's how this passage is structured. And that leads us to point two. So point one, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Come and die. Point two, though, come and live. So if you notice the way this passage is structured, verse 34 is the command. This is what you must do. But if you look at verse 35 to 38, you'll see the word for in there four times, which is helpful. For means a reason. So Jesus gives a command, and then he's going to give a number of reasons why we should follow that command. He's logically appealing to his believers and listeners. He's saying, here's why you should do this. Here's why it actually makes sense to do this illogical thing, to take up a cross. 
And I'm going to summarize them into three main points. So the first reason why we should take up our cross is this. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. So why should we deny ourselves and take up our cross? Seems illogical. Well, Jesus counters that by saying, the only way you can truly live is to die. You see, if you try and save your life by rejecting Jesus, his promise is this, you will lose your eternal life. But if you lose your life here on earth, you will gain eternal life. It's a bit of a play on words with this word soul, life. It's the Greek word um, psyche, which is where we get psychology from. He's saying if you lose your life here, you will gain the eternal one. If you, lose your, if you gain your life here, you will lose your eternal one. So it makes a logical sense for you to follow me because I'm the only one that can give you that eternal life. You see, saving your life is the life of self. Choosing acceptance over opposition. Choosing glory over shame. Choosing comfort over pain. Choosing life over the potential death that would come from being a follower of Jesus. Now, it doesn't look at so much while we're here in pretty little Tara with our nice coffee machines and everything like that. It doesn't, Christianity doesn't feel like come and die so much here. But there's plenty of places in the world and the history of the church attests to that is the final result of following Jesus is you lose your life here, but you will gain a new one in heaven. So Jesus is now appealing to us in our base and core desires. We desire acceptance. We desire glory. We desire comfort. We desire safety. And he says, if you really desire those things, if you really want them, there's only one way to get them, by losing your life here by taking up a cross and following me. Because if you do, I will then provide all those four things for you forever. But if you want them now, you will lose them forever. Take your pick. You see, Jesus calls us to self-denial, but not ultimate self-denial. The Bible never calls us to ultimately deny ourselves. In fact, what the Bible says time and time again, is we say no to things now for a greater pleasure in the future. We say no to our natural instinct for a deeper one. We say no to the snatch and grab for something that can only come through waiting and contentment. C.S. Lewis said it brilliantly um, in, I think it's his sermon on the weight of glory. He says, the New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. Sometimes people think Christianity is just like, be a good person, deny yourself, stubbornly and stoically refuse all pleasure, and then God will be pleased with you and you go to heaven. That's not actually the logic of Christianity. The logic of Christianity is quite different. The logic is actually pursue joy, pursue your own happiness, but you'll just find it in a different place, which is what Lewis is going to go on to say, so I'll just say it. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward 
and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, Jesus says, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He's saying, pursue your joy with utter abandon, but pursue the joy that can never be taken. Pursue joy in God that, can, that will always fulfill you. Don't fool about with the things of this world, the, the mere, mere pleasure of now. Invest in the pleasure of forever. It's sort of upside down. But see how it's so kind of the Lord that he, he actually wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to find joy in him. And so he appeals to us. If you really want it, go after it. So reason one why we should deny ourselves and take up our cross is that the only way to truly have joy and life is to come and die. Reason number two is verse 36 and 37, putting two of them together. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, Jesus now asks two rhetorical questions which beg us to answer them. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Well, the answer is it profits him nothing. Profits you nothing. For what can a man give in return for his soul? I.e., what can you purchase, what, what price could you pay to buy your soul out of hell and eternal judgment and punishment and into eternal life? The answer, nothing. So if you, what Jesus is saying here is, why would you not take up your cross and follow me? Because if you don't do that, you will lose your soul. You will lose your only hope at eternal life. So what would it profit you to do it? What great benefit would there be to you to have everything here on earth if nothing here on earth can buy you a place in heaven? You see, Jesus is saying here that we're all kind of bound in this horrible position. Because of our sin, because of our rejection of a good and loving God, and ultimately, if we reject Christ, that will be added to our problem. We're in a position where, rather than automatically going to heaven, we're actually automatically in this position of under the judgment of God. And we're sort of like a, a prisoner in, in a prison cell, awaiting the judge to come back and make his final judgment. And you imagine yourself in this prison. You know you're guilty. On that last day, we, sinners will know that they are guilty. And in fact, probably our conscience bears to it. You probably know that you're not 100% right with this world, with each other, even with God. And so you sit, your soul sits in this jail cell awaiting the judge to bang down the gavel and say, guilty, and the judgment to come. But imagine if someone could come and pay a price and buy you out of that jail cell and into freedom. Jesus is saying, you can't pay that price. No one can. 
Nothing else, no other way other than me can get you out of that jail cell. But what he is saying is this, if you follow me and my way of the cross, I have opened up the keys to the jail door through my death. You see, in verse 31, he's already said, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The Son of Man must suffer and die on the cross so that he can purchase souls out of this jail cell of sin and death and hell. And so what would it profit you to gain the whole world but be stuck in there forever? Nothing. And it teaches us that the only way we can get out of there is by putting our trust in Jesus. And he's made the way. Because he took the way of the cross, because he he suffered, we are set free. So put your trust in him. Put your stake on him and he will open the door and let you free and free indeed. That's the second reason. So first one was if you save your life, you lose it. Second one is, there's nothing you can have here on earth that will actually secure your eternal place. So you should follow me because I can do that. And the third reason is verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The third reason is this. If you look down the cross, look down this real call of what it means to follow Jesus, and you decide, no, too much. I I don't want to be numbered with him. I don't want to stand for him. I don't want to stand with him. If you make that decision, Jesus is saying this. On that last day, when I come back, as my resurrected self, with the glory of God the Father and the angels, then on that day, I will say, I don't want to be with you. If you're ashamed of Christ here on earth, he will be ashamed of you on that final day of judgment. It's a terrifying thought. It's quite the severe Jesus that we're not used to hearing about in our modern media. But Jesus gives this incredible vision You see, he's just told them he's going to suffer in the most unimaginably shameful way. And now he's saying, but I'm going to come back in total glory and power and righteousness and holiness. And when I come back, everything will be flipped upside down. Those who chose glory now will be shamed. So which side do you want to be on? But if you reverse it too, it actually gives a beautiful picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Instead of receiving shame, here's what will happen on the last day if you become a follower of Jesus. You follow him now, you receive shame, pain, disapproval now, death even now. On that last day when we're judged by him, he will return with the glory of the Father and the angels and he will come to you and instead of looking over you in shame, he will glory in you. The Bible says it like this in James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 2 Timothy 4.8, 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, this Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Here's what will happen on the final day. If you take the cross now, Christ will come to you, and in this glorious and totally unworthy manner for ourselves, he will place a crown of life on your head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You bore the cross for me here on earth. You will wear the crown for all of eternity. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So let's work it backward. Verse 38. This, this is why we should follow Jesus. Verse 38 says, If you prefer the approval of this world more than following Jesus, he'll be ashamed of you when he comes. Verse 37, Therefore, nothing on this earth can buy you out of hell. Verse 36, Therefore, there's no profit, there's no total gain in having everything here on earth if you lose Christ in the end. Therefore, if you want to save your life, lose it. Therefore, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And you will receive life, and that in abundance, through me. Donald English said it well in his commentary. The apparently gloomy news of the cross is actually the way to total freedom and fulfillment. There's now nothing to lose and everything to gain. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to come and die so that we may come and live. It's incredible. So what does that look like for you and I this morning here in Tara, in North Parramatta, wherever we're at in our journey with God? Well, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, let me appeal to you. As weird as it sounds, as unattractive as it sounds to pick up a cross, to deny yourself and follow him, it's in your best interest. So do it and do it today. If you love yourself and you love your own joy and your own comfort, take up Christ. Bow the knee and follow him. Because in doing so, you will truly love your own soul because you will experience the joy, the peace, the comfort that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Come and die with us. We'll do it together. We'll help each other. It's a hard journey. It's not easy. It's painful. But it takes incredible faith because we live in the unseen reality. Christianity makes no sense. It should make no sense. Because it's based all upon a future promise of joy and life and righteousness coming to you. But it's not for here. So if you're not yet following Jesus, I bid you, Come and die. Come and follow him. Take up your cross. He will receive you because anyone can come after him. And don't delay. You never know when the Lord will return. You never know when he will come with his angels in the glory of the Father. It doesn't look like it this morning. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's clean, it's nice. But Jesus said the day will come like a thief in the night. You'll never know. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you're a cross-bearer. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Bear your cross well. Take it up and wear it each day. 
it's daunting at the beginning of the Christian life. You see the cross and you're like, I don't know if I should put it on. And you put on the cross and you, you deny yourself. And, and, you, and then you start wearing the cross for years and years. And you start thinking, man, this thing is, I wish I could just you know, lop it off the back, you know, get rid of it. Because it, living the Christ way is constant death. It's constant self-denial. It's constant saying, no, I will put the needs of others above myself. I will consider, like Arby prayed, the, the needs of others more significant than my own daily. Motherhood is a brilliant example of cross-bearing. There's a great article in the Gospel Coalition called When Motherhood is Death. <laughs> because it is. Every day, all the time, I see it in my wife. She's an incredible example of this. And you other mothers, you'd know it. Or everyone that's got a mother, you've seen it. You have to deny yourself again and again and again and again. But let me encourage you, bear your cross well in that season. Because dying is gain. Don't drop it off the back because it's too hard. Don't go, this is too much. I'm going to pursue myself again. Keep living in the new self, whether it be in your work, serving, whether it be in your home, whether it be in your life with your friends, when you're, you're afraid, like, what will people think of me if I, if I don't support this particular cause or if I, you know, I'm anti-same-sex marriage or I'm anti-abortion? What, what are people going to think of me? All those opportunities are chances for you to hold your cross up well. By the power of God. You see, we can't do it on our own. The cross teaches us that. If we, if we could make it to heaven on our own, then Jesus wouldn't have jumped up on a cross and been crucified in our place. We can't do it. So what we do is we come daily back to the cross and we say, Lord, thank you that you died in my place for my sin. Now, because I'm a new self in you, give me the power to live for you and take up my cross and live for you again today. That's the Christian life. We follow Christ's crucified. He bids us come and die so that we may come and live. That's our opportunity. That's our privilege. And that's our calling. I want to end by demonstrating through a story one example of how this truly plays out. You see, I've mentioned a few times this morning, it doesn't feel like crosses so much this morning. But for brothers and sisters in different countries, it really is. I came across a story of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt from a couple of years ago from Open Doors. And this beautifully and tragically examines what it could really look like for us one day to take up our cross. This is the ultimate taking up of your cross. We do it in a hundred million little ways. But there may come a day, and there does come a day for many Christians around the world, where they literally have to decide, am I with him or against him? And with him means death, and against him means life. Which will I choose? Ascension Day takes place 40 days after Easter Sunday. It's time um, Christians in Egypt celebrate Jesus ascending into heaven. Nadia and her family were on their way to visit the monastery of St. Samuel. It was a family trip, Nadia said. Our relatives that immigrated to the States were visiting Egypt. We weren't worried about our security at all. Hani, Nadia's son, went along. With them was Nadia's daughter, Zoraida, her son-in-law, Samer, and Nadia's three-year-old grandson. I saw some men in military clothing pull over our bus, but I thought they were there to protect the monastery, Nadia said. The opposite was true. The men shot the wheels of the bus and climbed on. My son-in-law, Samir, was sitting in front of the bus. 
Nadia recalled. They turned towards him first. They ordered him to convert to Islam. But my son-in-law showed the cross tattoo on his wrist and said, No, I will not. I am a Christian. Then he was shot. The terrorists asked each man on the bus to convert to Islam or die. They stopped next to her son, Hani. Nania watched him from the back of the bus. She saw Hani raise his wrist and heard his last words. No, I am a Christian. Maybe you would think I would rather have seen my son make a different choice, Nadia said. And of course, as a mother, I'm terribly sad and angry because I lost my son. But I'm happy that I witnessed the faith I raised in him. I'm thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ even with his life in danger. But then a ute approached. The terrorists left and walked towards the ute to carry out their second attack. In the ute were Marco and Mina, who lived in a small village in the southern part of Egypt. They were 14 and 10 years of age. The boys had joined their father, Ayad, on a trip to St. Stephen's Monastery. Their dad worked there and wanted to show his sons what he did, but Ayad never got the chance. My dad was driving the ute. Some of his colleagues rode with us. Then we heard shouting, Mina said. On the road to the monastery, they could see that the bus had been attacked and all the men who refused to convert to Islam had been shot. Before they could turn around, the terrorists climbed off the bus and made their way towards the ute. Mina and his brother hid. We heard them force our father to get out first, Mina said. The man shouted he had to convert to Islam. My father said no. They shot him. Ayad's colleagues were all forced to step off the truck. One by one, they were asked the same question. Convert to Islam or die for Christ. As on the bus, everyone chose Jesus over their own life. When Christ calls a man, bids a man, he bids him to come and die. To take up your cross, literally we saw those brothers and sisters, and follow him. His bid is that we would deny ourselves and take up our cross. That we would lose our life, that we may keep it. And those brothers and sisters that lost their life for the sake of Christ are wearing the crown of life. They were not ashamed of him on this earth. So they will not be ashamed. He will not be ashamed of them on his coming day. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Brothers and sisters at Song Grace Church, Parramatta, visitors, come and die so that you may come and truly live. Would you pray with me? And join us in song. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we are aware that we're not even worthy to carry a cross. It's because of our sin that your son was sent to the cross. But Lord, would you give us that privilege and power to bear our cross well, to live every day denying ourselves and choosing you over everything else. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are our life. You are our hope.
You are our joy. You are our peace. You are our comfort. You are our glory. And so we put ourselves wholly into your hands. Fill us with your spirit this morning, Lord God, that we may take up our cross daily and live for your glory. Lord, would you fill us and help us to see you. Help us to live by the power of the gospel, not by our own strength, so that we may live all our days to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.